are about to enter another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. A journey into a wondrous land of imagination. Next stop, the Twilight Zone. Introducing Charles Leroy Nutt, an ordinary boy obsessed with sport and all of the other typical childhood pursuits until illness and a discovery of fine literature led him down a more creative path. Add to this an unstable mother who dressed him in girls clothing and on a particular occasion killed one of his pets as a punishment and you have the makings of the man who would become Charles Beaumont. He was described as a magnetic man with a devastating sense of humour and many talents. He was an illustrator, a piano player and a comic book editor, but most of all a writer. And Charles Beaumont was second only to Rod Sailing in his contributions to the Twilight Zone. The episode that we'll be discussing tonight is the first one to be written by someone other than Rod Sailing. Certainly Sailing had adapted other people's short stories, but he'd always been the one to write the teleplays until now. Charles Beaumont adapted his own short story, Perchance to Dream, that had been previously published in Playboy magazine, into the episode of the same name. Now Beaumont had already become quite successful as a television writer in his own right, but when he met Rod Serling he earned his respect in quite a curious way. Serling had recently written a story for a show called Playhouse 90 called Velvet Alley, and he recalled in 1963 Chuck Beaumont, who I didn't even know, in a very tasteful way, nothing offensive in the way he did it, he said, Quite honestly, I must tell you to your face, it's the worst piece of writing I've ever seen. I didn't rebel at this at all, but to this day I lay claim that Chuck is absolutely wrong. Anyway, it put Chuck and me on a very good basis, because I feel now not only the right, but the obligation to speak to Chuck honestly. Like I say, nobody contributed more scripts to the Twilight Zone except for Rod Sailing himself, and... Beaumont racked up about 22 scripts, so you could say that it was the best part of a season, and one of these scripts might very well be my favourite Twilight Zone episode of all time, but we'll come to that someday and, and see whether that's true. So before we get into tonight's story, if you'd like to learn more about Charles Beaumont, I'd suggest reading the section written about him in the Twilight Zone Companion, but also there is a documentary that you can pre-order from charlesbeaumontmovie.com that charts his rise but also his sad death at the age of only 39 and it's called Charles Beaumont The Short Life of the Twilight Zone's Magic Man so let's take a look at his first contribution to the Twilight Zone Perchance to Dream 12 o'clock noon an ordinary scene in ordinary city lunchtime for thousands of ordinary people to most of them, this hour will be a rest, a pleasant break in the day's routine. To most, but not all. To Edward Hall, time is an enemy. 
And the hour to come is a matter of life and death. First broadcast on the 27th of November 1959, written by Charles Beaumont and directed by Robert Florey, who, believe it or not, actually co-scripted the Universal Frankenstein film as well. I've got to warn you, there's not much in the way of trivia about this episode. There's a few quotes here and there, a lot of backslapping and mutual admiration between everyone involved, but not really anything particularly interesting about the production. I guess it's primarily filmed in the doctor's office and at a fairground later on, but there's really no sort of details about that. But I think for me the main point of interest is how different it is to a Rod Serling episode. And we'll talk about that more later, but the opening scene contains a couple of elements that really sum the whole thing up the way it hits the ground running. In the opening sequence we see Edward Hall, a man who is obviously in discomfort and he's heading towards a building. There's a wonderful shot where the camera starts up in the clouds and then... It sweeps down this skyscraper that Edward is heading towards and it it shows perfectly how disorientated Edward Hall is. If you've ever missed a night's sleep you'll know how everything can sometimes begin to have quite a surreal quality to it. And the episode is filled with this kind of imagery but it it starts off really nicely with that, that gorgeous shot, you know. Quite untypical for television at that time I would think. So Edward Hall goes into the building and we see he's going to see a doctor, Dr. Elliot Rathman. So he walks into the office and the doctor tells him to lie on the couch. And again, we get this sweeping camera movement where the camera's looking at Edward and the doctor, but then it pulls back to view the whole scene from above. But just as he closes his eyes and he looks like he's going to sleep, he jumps up from the couch. I thought you said you were tired. I am. I'm the tiredest man in the world. You all know how many hours I've been awake? 87 hours. Almost four days and nights. And you can't go to sleep, is that it? (laughs) No, doctor, not can't. I mustn't. I mustn't go to sleep because if I do, I'll never wake up. Edward came to Dr. Rathman because Rathman's a psychiatrist and Edward's regular doctor hadn't been able to do anything about about the problem that he's came to see Dr. Rathman for. And here's where the story of what's happening to Edward starts to come out. There are a combination of things that have gotten him to this point and one is that he has this very heightened imagination. He tells a story about how as a child he looked at a picture of a boat until he made the boat move in his mind. The problem is he can't control it. Once he's unlocked the door, so to speak, he can't close it again. The mind is everything. If you think you've got a pain in your arm and there's no physical reason for it, it hurts just the same, doesn't it? Granted. That little piece of dialogue always quite resonates with me a little because of the opening narration to the Twilight Zone being a dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. So the next piece of the puzzle is Edward Hall's heart condition. When I was 15, I developed a rheumatic heart. They said I'd never really get well. That I'd have to take it easy. No strenuous exercise. No long walks, no stairs, no shocks. Avoid any kind of shock, they said. 
They forget about my imagination. Three years ago, a woman was killed by a man who was hidden in the back seat of her car. You may have read about it, I did. Anyway, it started me thinking. Maybe somebody was hiding in the back seat of my car. Maybe one night driving over Laurel Canyon, I'd look up in the rearview mirror and I'd see somebody or something coming up out of the darkness. I had to drive the canyon twice a day. It's a rough road. One slip and you're over the edge. One night, like every other night, I was headed for home. Suddenly, I began to feel uncomfortable, as if I weren't alone in the car. It was ridiculous, but I couldn't shake the sensation. I kept thinking there's somebody back there. I'll look in the rearview mirror and I'll see his face. Then I'll see his hands reaching up. Here's the important thing, Doctor. I knew intellectually that I was alone. But I also knew that my imagination could make me see something if I thought about it long enough. But it's not actually a man he sees in the mirror, it's the eyes of a woman. And finally, the third one of Edward Hall's quirks is the way that he dreams. When I was a kid, I used to dream in sequence. Remember the adventure serials you used to have in the movie theaters? It was like that. Every dream was a chapter. I'd always remember because when I woke up, I'd write down what happened. It's crazy, huh? Now apparently this was an autobiographical element of the story because Charles Beaumont too dreamed in sequence sometimes. So now all of these unique qualities of Edward Hall are in place and we get the final reveal of why this is such a problem. The eyes that he saw in the rearview mirror belong to a woman who he sees again in his next dream, a woman called Maya. And Edward is convinced that Maya is out to kill him. Edward describes his dreams to the Doctor and we get to see them all in flashback. And this dream sequence is kind of the centerpiece of the episode. Up until now we have these flourishes with the camera every now and again. Especially when Edward is particularly in distress or close to sleep or disorientated. But they're all building to this quite surreal dream world that he's created for himself. It's totally black, except for the people and the props that are in it. And again, the camera's always either moving or at an angle, and there's a permanent kind of haze around the frame. It's a dream that's constantly in danger of slipping totally into being a nightmare, and Maya seems to be leading Edward into situations that will frighten him. There's this scene where she lures him into a tent to kiss her, but there's all of these wonderfully creepy carnival props there that she's trying to use to frighten him. So Edward's telling the Doctor about his dreams, and although after this particular section of the dream Edward wakes up, the next time he falls asleep, the dream continues, and it's here that he realises that if he falls asleep again, he'll die. Come with me. You want to? Don't you, Edward? How do you know my name? Oh, I know a lot of things. I'm Maya. Don't be afraid. I'm not. Then come. You are afraid. Only because this isn't happening. This is a dream. I'm not here. I'm at home, asleep. And you're part of that dream. I know that. You do? Of course. Come. Come. 
So if Edward falls asleep again, he's going to continue his dream from a point where Maya was about to push him from a roller coaster, and the shock of that will more than likely kill him. The next night I put off going to sleep until one o'clock. But it didn't matter. The dream was out of control. I was back in the amusement park. I was running. Edward? Edward! Get away from me. There's nothing to be afraid of, Edward. It's only a dream. I've got a heart condition. I can't stand all this excitement. But silly, there isn't any excitement. You said so yourself. They're at home, asleep in bed. Now, the roller coaster thing is another autobiographical element to the story from Charles Beaumont. His friend William Nolan said this about him. He said he was always frightened of dreams. He always felt that dreams and reality impinged on each other. And this is just another version of his own fear. He was also terrified of roller coasters. He would ride a roller coaster, but he would be terrified while he was doing it. And he would always say afterwards that it was the last time he'd ever ride one. And is that it? Yeah, that's it. If I go to sleep, I'll go right back to the roller coaster. Maya will reach me. She'll push me, and that'll be the end of me. On the other hand, if I stay awake any longer, the strain will be too much for my heart, and that'll be the end of me. Head your wind tails, I lose. So at this point, he tries to leave the doctor's office, but when he does, he comes face to face with the doctor's receptionist, and she looks exactly like Maya. A less vampy Maya, but Maya nonetheless. So Edward turns around and goes back into the doctor's office and jumps straight out of the window. But the thing is, things aren't quite as they seem. Thomas Thomas? Yes, Doctor? Would you come here, please? I'm afraid he's dead. But he came in just a minute ago. I... I know. When he came in, I told him to sit down, and he did. Less than two seconds, he was asleep. Then he gave that scream you heard. Heart attack? Probably. Well, I guess there are worse ways to go. At least he died peacefully. You know, we all have that little lack of control of our own mind at times. When someone tells you not to think about something, you think about it. When you get a tune stuck in your head and you can't get it out, or you close your eyes to get to sleep, but you can't stop your mind from racing. You know, the mind is a powerful thing, but at times, if you'll pardon the pun, it does seem to have a mind of its own. What I like about this story is that it takes that and expands on it. It takes it to the next level. Maya is the personification of all that lack of control that we seem to have over our own minds at times. On its own, it's quite frightening, but not deadly. But if you factor in the episodic dream and Edward's heart condition, and I think it's a very clever and tightly plotted piece of television. Richard Conti plays Edward Hall, and he has this way of speaking where he doesn't so much speak as he pushes the words from his mouth in these short, sharp bursts, and it's perfect for someone in Hall's predicament. He's very intense and you can see how much he's transformed his face when you see him in the dream sequences for the first time. He, he looks almost, you know, 
five or ten years younger but then when you see him in the doctor's office he's very weary and his face seems to have lines that weren't there in those sequences now Richard Conti will always probably be best remembered for his appearance in The Godfather and apparently he was actually considered to play Don Corleone too before Marlon Brando did Charles Beaumont was full of praise for both Conti and the director Robert Florey. He said throughout the TV filming, Florey strove for quality. It might have been the most expensive MGM feature. He rooted out the meanings of certain lines, frequently surprising me with symbols and shadings I'd neither planned nor suspected. The set was truly impressionistic, recalling the days of Caligari and Lilium. The costumes were generally perfect. And in the starring role, Richard Conti gave a performance which displays both intensity and subtlety. The rest of the cast, John Larch as Dr. Rathman, he's fine, I guess there's not much to do in the role. He's really just there to give Edward Hall an excuse to tell his story. Suzanne Lloyd as Maya, and also Dr. Rathman's secretary. I, I enjoy your performance, especially when you see how polar opposite her two roles are. And again she was very complimentary about everyone and the process. She said, the fondest memory of the show was that I had the opportunity to work with consummate actors who were dedicated to their craft and to be directed by a man who understood exactly what Buck Houghton was striving for. We were all on the same page. The joy of that is hard to explain unless you have worked on shows where people have their own understanding of how a scene should be and no one agrees. This was not the case on the Twilight Zone. This was heaven. It allowed all of us to focus on our characters and to honour the written word. The episode as a whole is a, I think, a deceivingly complicated one. Which is a credit to Charles Beaumont that it actually seems very simple, but when you lay it out, Edward walks into the building, he gets a good look at the receptionist, then he walks into the doctor's office and falls asleep. Now, having seen the episode, we know that he really does fall asleep at this point. Then he dreams that he wakes up in the doctor's office and he tells the doctor about a series of dreams that he's been having, but he projects the image of the receptionist into these dreams as Maya, who wants to kill him. So then when he walks out of the office, still in a dream, he's horrified to see that the receptionist looks like Maya, so he throws himself out of the window. Again, it's all still in dreams. Then we come back up to the real world, where what actually happened was Edward walked into the office, lay down, fell asleep, dreamed this complicated little dream with more dreams within dreams, and then he died. Now we don't really know anything about Edward other than the fact he was a man in distress who walked into a psychiatrist's office and fell asleep and in an instant had a dream and then died. And it's this lack of really knowing anything about Edward that's quite interesting to me because I think it's one of the big differences between this episode by Charles Beaumont and the episodes of The Twilight Zone that we've seen up until now by Rod Serling. Sailing's episodes so far have a kind of moral compass to them. You know, in the last episode, I questioned why Henry Bemis deserved his fate because before that in Sailing's episode, it seems to be that everyone gets what they deserve to a degree, you know, good or bad. And there's usually some sort of message behind that. 
Here in this episode, we don't know who Edward Hall is. Is he a good man? Is he a bad man? We just don't know. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. It's not the point. Charles Beaumont is taking us on a ride. There's an urgency to everything because no matter what, sleep will always catch up to you. It's a device that Wes Craven used in Nightmare on Elm Street. You can delay it but you're only going to delay for so long. So it's very different from the way Sailing does things, and I think overall it is a good episode and a worthy introduction to Charles Beaumont. And a different type of story, it makes the Twilight Zone all the richer for having, but I think the best is still yet to come from Charles Beaumont. So I'd like to close on this quote that I think nicely sums up the... The kind of bubble that Sailing wanted to create for himself and the show, and anyone who is contributing to the show. A shelter, if you like, from the the interference and the business side of things. So give people a, a space to create and be creative. In the 1959 issue of the magazine Fantasy and Science Fiction, Charles Beaumont wrote, my Playboy story, Perchance to Dream, was selected for production a few months ago. Sailing told me to dramatise it, but to make no changes, he advised me to forget everything I had learned about television taboos. They didn't exist on the Twilight Zone. I should do the script the way I saw it, believing the instructions to be well meant, but hardly to be taken seriously. I nonetheless did write the script precisely as I saw it. To my amazement, it was happily accepted. Nothing was changed, not one line, not one word. Not even the wild technical directions which called for an impressionistic amusement park or a roller coaster ride and a car crash. It was filmed exactly as written. I know because I was on the set watching, unable to believe that any of this was truly happening. An author was seeing his work treated with respect. They say a dream takes only a second or so. And yet in that second, a man can live a lifetime. He can suffer and die, and who's to say which is the greater reality? The one we know or the one in dreams? Between heaven, the sky, the earth, in the twilight zone. As usual, I have some people I need to thank um, for the... For the great support they're giving the Twilight Zone podcast, I had a, a nice email from a gentleman called Rick who stumbled across the Twilight Zone podcast and he's been a fan for many years. He's checked out the episode many times and came across the Twilight Zone podcast and he sent me a great email of support saying how much he enjoys it. So I appreciate that, Rick. Thanks a lot. It's emails like yours that really kind of keep me going, you know. I've got a lot of episodes to get through and it's very enjoyable and I enjoy doing it but those those words really kind of give me that focus to keep going so always appreciated, thank you. And there's also a couple of stateside iTunes reviews that I want to thank a couple of people for. The first from Dark Cell CK, thanks very much. I, I won't read out the reviews um, but they're there if you want to go and check them out and again some some really nice words from dark cell ck so thanks a lot and also a review from brandy jacola now this one is actually from a friend of mine a a fellow podcaster who presents a podcast with her husband dave called the inside outcast 
which is a hard podcast to categorize covers various subjects and and topics but always worth a listen very enjoyable very fun it can be serious it can be funny it it covers the whole spectrum so i think it's it's a great enjoyable podcast and you can find that at geekplanetonline.com or look it up on itunes the inside outcast next time we'll be discussing an episode called judgment night and as usual if you want to leave any comments on any episodes you can do it in a couple of ways you can post comments to the twilight zone podcast.com on each individual episode and there's a and there's a poster called michael who's been leaving some great thoughtful posts there recently so thank you michael and i'm always there on email feedback at the twilight zone podcast.com so i'll see you next week for judgment night bye bye